Hello, and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. It's kind of like picking up one piece of a 5,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Imagine if you didn't have the box lid and you just pick up a piece. And that's how I think some people approach the Bible. They pick up a couple of verses here or there. And, and if you chose to pick up a couple of verses out of Zechariah, then clearly without the box lid, this is not going to make much sense. In the Old Testament, the Jews practiced many traditions, feasts and fasts, sacrifices and rituals. But like all of us, they got a little too focused on the rules and forgot what they were doing it for. As it turns out, being religious and focusing on rules and rituals is not the means by which we connect with God. Who knew, eh? There are some real gems in tonight's discussion, so let's join Dr Corbett as he continues with the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Good morning, my name's Andrew and we are going to be continuing through the book of Zechariah and I've mentioned just by way of introduction previously why the book of Zechariah is pretty important. It's probably one of the most unread Bible, uh, Bible books. I mentioned last week that Kim had just finished reading it and last Sunday morning she said to me, you're preaching on this book about a guy who honestly seems like he was on drugs because he's having some pretty tripped out visions. And while that might be the case, and I'll explain why that might seem to be the case, because I don't think he was on drugs at all, that when we're dealing with books of the Bible, and it's my hope that in this moment together, I'm pastoring you. I want to be a part of shepherding you in this moment and to do that I want to use God's word to do it in order to do that I want to help you to read God's word and go oh yeah I've heard about that I get that I, I know what this is about and because some people read the Bible in bits rather than books it's kind of like picking up, as I've said, if you're watching my daily YouTube video where I'm reading the Bible through every day. It's kind of like picking up one piece of a 5,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. But I might, have to, I might have to tone that down a bit because Kim broke out a 1,000 piece jigsaw puzzle and spread it on the table. I thought, oh gee, 5,000 pieces would cover the dining table, wouldn't it? It'd be a pretty big... So you don't even need a 5,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Just a 1,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. By the way, Kim did it, well, nearly did it, packed it up in the box and donated it to the salvos. We then discovered that Ruby wanted to finish it, so you took the last three pieces. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Anyway, that's going to upset someone, isn't it? <laughs> oh, Dan got this from the salvos. There's three pieces missing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we can rectify that. But anyway, it's, if, imagine if you didn't have the box lid and you just pick up a piece, and it's, it's going to be... And that's how I think some people approach the Bible. They pick up a couple of verses here or there, and, and if you chose to pick up a couple of verses out of Zechariah, then clearly, without the box lid, this is not going to make much sense. And so I, I hope to show you that in a moment. The text that we're, we're going to look at in Zechariah is, is based out of chapter 7, and, eight. and I was hoping to, to continue into 9 and 10, but I think we, we, we I just felt this morning, now I think we just need to just halt it there, even though my text is out of chapter 9. And it's, it's based out of 
Zechariah chapter 9, verse 17. And what I've done, apart from the fact that I, Kim said, I must be the world's greatest sticky note lover because I love sticky notes. I, I put sticky notes everywhere. And, but when I've gone through Zechariah, I've actually highlighted everything that talks about Jesus in orange. And this verse, describing the Messiah, it says, On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine in his hand. And that's talking about the church. And then it goes on, and this is the, the text that I'm, I'm actually going to sort of base this around and then give you the background to it. For how great is his goodness. Do you realise Jesus never went, oh, dang, if I do that again, I'll, I'll, I'll do better next time? He did it right the first time. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever had a conversation with someone then walked away and gone, oh, I wish I'd said. Jesus never did that. Yeah, me and you, Denise. I've... Jesus never did that. When people came up to him with questions, he did what truly superior, intelligent people do. He answered them with a question that got them thinking. That's what I think really intelligent people get you to do they they get you to think Jesus did that you know Jesus never grew in his moral character someone said imagine if you're employing someone for general manager and their CV you know and and the, the you got the HR department to do a background check on him and and it came back and it said he always thinks he's right he doesn't take advice from anyone <laughs> he believes that it's his way or the highway and on and on and he claims he's never made a mistake in his life and he's never learnt from any of his mistakes because he claims he's never made one and when you think about it this is the God we worship this is Jesus who we've been singing about and we, we sang that beautiful song about him and so this is the verse out of Zechariah that marvels at that and it says for how great is his goodness, how great is his beauty. And I, I heard an author, Tom Gilson, say, if you were going to, as atheists claim, invent a Jesus based on previous myths and just kind of composite them and put them together and just fabricate it, you couldn't do this. You wouldn't do this, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. There is no way you could write a description of someone who we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and we are revealed in the prophets who's actually that good. Everything he did, and here's the word, was impeccable, could not be improved upon. Impeccable in the sense of good. Just some beautiful scenes in the Gospels that reveal this Jesus that it's, uh, I think, uh, Tom Gilson's book is uh, too good to be false because you just couldn't fabricate it. It's absolutely amazing. And here's Zechariah prophetically. So Zechariah is around uh, 500 and he would have written this around about 518 BC. And he's describing Christ as see how great is his goodness, see how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and the new wine the young women and you might think oh that's weird but this is what the Hebrews regarded as ultimate prosperity 
to have abundant crops and have abundant wine was a word picture of everything is well, everything is right. And Zechariah is saying when Jesus comes, this is what it will be like. But to do that, we need to start at Zechariah chapter 7. And I'm kind of going to, I know Jeff asked you sort of tongue in cheek to follow with him in his context. Uh, Jeff, that was very profound. I think I might need you to do that as well. So if you've got a device, you'll be okay. If you've got a paper Bible, just make sure you're shining it under one of the three lights that are on. So you can see Zechariah chapter 7 verse 1. Now here's the, really the point that I want to draw out. And I, I do this at the risk of sounding arrogant. I don't want to sound arrogant. I, I want to pass to you. I want to shepherd you in this moment. I want your soul to feel the shepherd's staff and, and maybe the shepherd's crook, the thing with the hook on it that gets you out of, you know, when the sheep falls into the pit. He can reach down the four metre, three metre pit or whatever and pull them up. And if that's what you need, I hope that's what you feel. If you need the staff, just say, come on, you're doing well. Then I hope you feel that today as well. But as we read this, I need to explain this to you because without the box lid, this particular piece, and we're in Zechariah chapter 7 verse 1, this particular piece of the jigsaw puzzle is going to be, I have no idea where this fits. So let's have a look at it. In the fourth year of King Darius, just hold that thought. I need to explain that to you. I have already explained that Darius was a royal term of the emperor. And so Cyrus was also known as Darius. But this is not Cyrus. This is another Darius. And I'll explain that in just a moment. And I'm saying that because if you're reading this, you're not going to get what I'm about to tell you by continuing to read. You actually need to dig. And you know, you can go into the pursuit of gold with a rake and you can look under leaves or you can take a shovel and you've got a better chance of taking a shovel and finding gold. And so I want to just, I've done a little bit of digging. I'm going to share some gold with you, I hope. So it says... And I need, you to, I need you to note things that you just, normally if you're reading, you just gloss over these things. But it says, in the fourth year of King Darius, so we now know that this is 518 BC, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the, what month? Ninth. And that's important. You'll see why in a moment. And again, I'm pointing this out because you would think, just in reading, it's just like, oh yeah, whatever. But just hold that, which is, Kislev, which in our calendar is actually the 7th of December, 518 BC. Actually, actual historical event. All right, the first thing I, I pointed out to you here is in the fourth year of King Darius. So now I, I want to remind you of the, the lineage here. We've got Nabopolassar, who was the father of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, when his father died, Nebuchadnezzar renamed himself wait for it, Nebuchadnezzar, which is weird. So he became known as Nebuchadnezzar II, even though he was actually Nebuchadnezzar I. So you'll see historians refer to Nebuchadnezzar II, and that's essentially where he goes from being Prince Nebuchadnezzar to King Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, his son, uh, evil Merodach, 
he comes after Nebuchadnezzar, his brother, and you're going to see this throughout this little family tree I'm about to give you. His brother hates him, thinks he's too soft, and two years in, kills his brother. And then he, he flees, and, and then the line of Nabopolassar, or the line of Nebuchadnezzar, sort of ends. And then eventually, Nabonidus, who was an official, uh, takes the, the empire. And around uh, oh, 540, 541 or so, actually 552, sorry, BC, he appoints his son, Belshazzar. Now you should go, Belshazzar, I think I've heard of that term. Yes, Daniel chapter 5. This is where we see the handwriting on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Pekka. And that's Belshazzar. Belshazzar is then, it says in Daniel chapter 5, end of Daniel chapter 5, start of Daniel chapter 6, so this is what we're reading about. In one night, Cyrus the Persian comes in and takes over the Babylonian Empire and executes Belshazzar in 539 BC. So he takes over. Darius was about 62 when he did that. He went into battle eight years later at the age of 70. Any 70-year-olds here? Blair, are you 70? Oh, man. Jeez, you're a young fella for 70. Can you imagine leading a whole troop on, a ho- on horseback, front of the troop, into battle? That's what Cyrus did at the age of 70. And he died in battle. And so... His son, Cambyses, became emperor and he was um, stressing out that his brother was going to kill him. So he killed his brother before he killed him. And then the historians are, are undecided whether he committed suicide or whether he, he died in battle. But Cambyses then heard that his brother had come back to life and was out to get him. And that was actually this guy, Histaspes, who took on the name Darius. And just to distinguish himself from Cyrus, he called himself Darius the Great. In the fourth year of his reign, that's Zechariah chapter 7. That's where we're at now in this timeline. He reigned from 522 to 486 BC. We could follow this line down two more generations or so and we come to Xerxes, who's also known as Aesurus, who married Esther. Right, so you've got the timeline now. All right, so now we're verse 2. I told you to remember that ninth month thing. Now the people of Bethel, or if we're Hebrew we would say Bethel, had sent Shariza and Regem Melech and their men to entreat the favour of the Lord. All right, now what's, what's not obvious is who the heck are these guys? That's not obvious, is it? But this term hyphen Melech usually means in the king's service. So we saw in the book of Jeremiah that Ebed Melech, the eunuch who was in the king's service, rescued Jeremiah from out of the pit that he was thrown into. So this is Regum Melech. Now, here's, we'll go to the next verse. And remember when Zechariah got this word? In the ninth month. Let's see when they came to him. 
or when they set out to come to him. Saying to the priests, so this delegation of the people of Bethel came to the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets and this was their question. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I've done for so many years or as we have done for so many years? It's probably a better translation. Now here's, here's the thing. Zechariah gets the word in the ninth month. These people are concerned about something they've just done in the fifth month. How long has it taken them to get to Jerusalem? About four months. If you do have a Bible map at the back of your Bible, you'll see Bethel is about 13, 14 kilometres north of Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever walked 14 kilometres, but it doesn't take four months. But what does take four months four, five months, is going from, from Babylon around the Fertile Crescent to Jerusalem takes about four months' journey. So this delegation probably came from Babylon where many loyal Jews remained and they were keeping this fast. Now I've got I to say, I read this and I think fast in the fifth month? What fast in the fifth month? I don't ever remember seeing that prescribed in the law of Moses. Where'd they get this from? Well, I'm glad you asked. We'll have a look at that in a moment. So these people were a part of the people of Bethel who are identified in Ezra chapter 2 verse 28. In other words, when they went into captivity in Babylon, they maintained, we are the people from Bethel. They maintained that and we see that in Ezra chapter 2 verse 28 that sometime after this it says the men of Bethel and Ai 223 returned from Babylon so they maintain their identity all right so let's just have a unpack this a little bit slowly the Jews in Babylon had been keeping three commemorative fasts the fifth the seventh and the tenth months on different days and we'll see why. The fifth month fast, I don't know how many, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but, and, and clearly some of you don't fast regularly, but if you, if you do fast, hey, you know who you are. The rest of us, we're okay. I fast between midnight and six every morning, every, every day. Anyway, uh, the fifth month fast commemorated the destruction of the temple. In 2 Kings 25 and verse 8, it says, In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, right, that's when they commemorated the fast. That was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord, verse 9, of 2 Kings 25 and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem every great house he burned down so when they went to Babylon they couldn't practice the sacrifices because you need the temple you need well, you, you need the temple you need the altar in the temple to do the sacrifices so now they're in Babylon what do they do so the priest said what we'll do instead is remember with a fast the day the temple was destroyed so that's the fifth month fast the seventh month fast, which, is, which will be recorded, uh, noted in a moment, that's 
that's in verse 5 of Zechariah chapter 7. That commemorated the assassination of Gemaliah. Gemaliah was the governor. He, when, when the Jews were taken to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar appointed Gemaliah. He was a, right, a righteous man, a good man, but he was naive and he was assassinated. And so it says in 2 Kings chapter 25, uh, chapter 25, verse 25, But in the seventh month, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, son of Elishema of the royal family, came with ten men and struck down Gedaliah and put him to death, along with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were at Mizpah. So that's what that fast was about, the seventh month fast. So then on the 10th month, and this fast is mentioned in chapter 8, verse 19. We haven't got there yet, but there's three fasts that they had to keep. This commemorated the siege of Jerusalem, which began, it says in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 1, and in the, in the ninth year of his reign, in the 10th month, on the 10th day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. So that they had another fast there. So they had these fasts on the fifth month, the seventh month, the tenth month. And that's the background to it. So we'll, we'll have a look at that. Now here's, here's the question. Do we have to still keep these fasts? Good question, wouldn't you think, if you had to you know, fast, compulsorily fast if you're a Jew? So now especially... Their argument is probably, hey, now that you've started rebuilding the temple, because we know the first thing they did was build the altar for sacrifices, now that you've actually got the sacrifices and you told us we're doing these fasts in Babylon because we didn't have a temple and we couldn't do sacrifices, uh, we've got a question. Do we have to keep fasting? I think that's a pretty reasonable question. But Zechariah detects there's something behind their question so this delegation including Regem Melech that's odd he, he's come from what appears to be the king of Babylon huh. why would someone accompany Jews from Babylon from the king's court why, what, huh? what's that about and that's why some commentators believe this delegation that's happening here in Zechariah uh, chapter 7 uh, were actually officials in the, in the king's service. If they weren't officials, they were involved in commercial activity on behalf of the king. And quite possibly, as I've read some commentators, they've said this, these fasts were getting in the way of business. They were messing with business. Shops had to be shut, people couldn't go to work, fasts were on, it's a sacred holy day. It's a holy day, which is where we get the word holiday from. And so now the king's very interested in the answer to this question. Because this is messing with royal revenue, quite possibly. There's another thing behind this too, and when I read this without looking into the background of it, I thought, here's a delegation of Jews coming and they're, they're saying, do we have to keep doing this? Because we were told that, and I, I don't know if you've ever been told this, you can pray and God you know, might answer, but if you fast and pray, <laughs> you'll move the hand of God. 
Well, they've been fasting and praying three times a year for the last 60 years and Jerusalem is still in ruins. So here's the question that when I I just read this, I thought, I wonder if they're actually saying, what's the point? What are we doing this for? What is the point to doing this? And the reason they're asking the priests is because it was the priests who invoked this, apparently on behalf of God, and it's only the priests that can revoke these things. So, hmm, was that what they were doing? And the reason I wonder if that's what they were doing is because of the way Zechariah answered them. Because in, and Zechariah's a priest, so he could have said, oh yeah, good point, cancel the fast. He could have done that. But he detects something in their heart and now he begins to launch into it. You see, doing fasting, we, you know, Jesus taught how to fast. Remember what he said? Don't let anyone know. Don't go out with a trumpeter and someone beside the trumpeter going, this guy's, this guy's fasting. This guy's fasting. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't let anyone know. Don't put ash on your head, but wash yourself. In fact, please, wash yourself. And so here, these guys, this was a very, very religious show. Ash on the hair, potato sack, which is um, sackcloth that they would have worn. So everyone would have known they're doing something very religious. Hmm. And it seems like what Zechariah is about to say to them is this. You guys don't get it. Being religious is not the point of how you connect with God. How you connect with God. It's got nothing to do with having a trumpeter and an announcer and ash all over your face as if you're miserable and this is a drudge. That's, that's not how you connect with God. This is how Zechariah answers. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves? And drink for yourselves? Hmm. It seems like Zechariah is getting right to the heart of this. You're doing this, you're asking this question, but I think there's something else behind this question. I think you're saying that serving God is boring, serving God is a drudgery. Why do we have to do this? Why is this God so boring? Why is he so powerless? What's the point of if we can't manipulate this God as the pagans believe they could with fasting, then what's the point in us fasting? Hmm. And here's what Zechariah is essentially going to say. And ultimately he's going to point to the Messiah. True religion starts with knowing God and how this then affects how we care for others. You see, if these guys were coming because this fasting caper, it's bad for business. 
Zechariah is about to say, that's not got anything to do with your devotion to God, has it? And this is what he says in verses 8 and 9. Render true judgments. It starts off uh, as Zechariah is almost a signature statement where he says, thus says the Lord of hosts. Render true judgments and show kindness and mercy to one another. Verse 10, do not oppress the widow. Huh. What? Why? Why is he dialing in on this? I wonder if in their business transactions, they were oppressing people commercially. I wonder. I don't know. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, that is the, the traveller who's staying here for a time, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. Golly, I don't think that was the answer they were expecting. It's almost like those, those times when people come to Jesus, and I think of the, the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Zechariah Part 4 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, being religious is not the point when it comes to connecting with God. To know God requires an open, humble, and responsive heart. More from Dr. Corbett next week as he brings the Zechariah series to a close. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.